Good afternoon. Welcome to the From Every Tribe podcast, and I am your host, Jordan, and we are going to be starting the two episodes. I'm going to be doing two more episodes on the small catechism written by Martin Luther. Uh, We're going to be going over two more episodes. The last two episodes I did was on the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed. These next two episodes are going to be going over specifically the sacraments as understood in the Lutheran Church. And I'm I'm very excited to be starting this study and I hope you are excited uh, to listen to it and I hope you all enjoy. Thank you very much again for tuning in. Okay, so before we actually get into discussing the Lutheran understanding of the sacrament of holy baptism, we are going to be going over specifically the sacrament of holy baptism. Uh, The sacrament of the altar is going to be saved for the next episode. We are going to address both sacraments in separate episodes. They both deserve their own uh, time of study and address and things like that. So, in this first episode, we're going to be going over holy baptism. Before we get into that, I think it's important to understand what a sacrament is, you know, because there are different church bodies that have different understandings of the sacraments. They they enumerate the sacraments differently, and so it's important to actually understand what a sacrament is. And I have in front of me right now, (coughs) excuse me, I have in front of me, uh, the fourth volume of Evangelical Lutheran Dogmatics, written by Adolf Hennecke. He is a Wells theologian. He is uh, from the Wisconsin Synod of the Lutheran Church. I personally am not from the Wisconsin Synod. I am from the Missouri Synod, but we both are confessional Lutherans, both the Wells and the LCMS, we are both confessional Lutheran bodies, and we agree on the vast majority, from what I can see, the vast majority of topics concerning theology, both the Wells and the LCMS hold to the Book of Concord as our confessions of faith, we hold them together. Um, we are just separated in two different synods. I'm not going to get into that, but we both agree here when it comes to the sacraments. Both the Wells and the LCMS agree here, and we both have an agreed-upon definition as to what this, what a sacrament even is. And so, in Adolf Hennecke's fourth volume, Systematic Theology, on the chapter concerning the sacraments. It's entitled The Sacraments in General. He is not getting into any specific sacrament yet. He is laying out a foundation of what a sacrament even is first, which is what we are going to do here. And I'm not going to be reading a lot, um, but the thesis at the very beginning of this lays out a definition that I agree with on what a sacrament is. And he says, The sacraments are actions instituted by God that impart heavenly blessings under external signs for the bestowal 
as well as for the sealing of grace. That's a very short, very concise, and a very sufficient definition of what a sacrament is, in my opinion. If we unpack that just a little bit, there's not a lot to unpack, but there are very key points that must be understood if you want to have a proper understanding of what Lutherans believe about the sacraments. And just as a quick uh, tidbit of information, whenever I speak of how a Lutheran understands this or how a Lutheran understands that, what I believe is that Lutheran doctrine is Christian doctrine. It is true Orthodox Christian doctrine. And so when I say this is how a Lutheran understands this or this is how a Lutheran understands that, you can hear it as me saying this is how I believe we should properly understand the sacraments. This is what I believe the Bible teaches. And so when we unpack that statement a little bit, he says the sacraments are actions instituted by God. Pause there. The sacraments and the institution thereof are actions performed by God. They are started, they are completed, they are done by God, not by us. That beginning statement automatically separates us from many church bodies, not all, but many, who view, for example, baptism as a mere, not a mere, but as, well, some would say it is a mere thing, but, you know, there are different views of baptism. I'm not trying to say that this is one and everybody else has this one particular definition. Lutherans have one definition and everybody else has a different definition. Not at all the case, but there are other views of baptism out there that are like, we believe that baptism is a sign of something spiritual that took place in you. It's a uh, public proclamation of your faith in Christ, but it doesn't in and of itself impart grace to you. It doesn't in and of itself really do anything for you salvifically. Nothing really happens in the nature of baptism. It's really just a symbol or a ritual that you do because of a command and not really much else. That's one view out there. That's not the only view out there, but that is one view. We are automatically separated from anyone who has a type of definition in that manner because we believe that the sacraments are something that is performed. It is something that is completed by God. He is the one who causes the sacraments to be the sacraments, and he is the one who does the work of imparting the sacraments onto someone else. God is the one who does that, not us. And so that's the first statement. The sacraments are actions instituted by God that impart heavenly blessings under external signs. It imparts heavenly blessings under external signs. We're going to be getting into that much further when we look into Martin Luther's small catechism, he will go into explaining what that actually means in a little bit. But just as a quick summary, just as a quick statement to keep in your mind, uh, heavenly blessings, grace, are imparted to the one who receives the sacraments. 
and the sacraments are tied to external signs. So like the promise of grace is tied in holy baptism. In the water that you are baptized into, there is a promise that when you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, grace is going to be imparted to you. So the heavenly blessing that is imparted to the sinner is the grace in this equation. In every equation, that's all the same. But the what would differentiate the sacraments from one another is the external sign. And the external sign in this case would be water. So you have the external sign, water, and you have the promise of grace is tied to the water so that everyone who is baptized in said water, they they logically receive that grace that is tied to the water. You are baptized into the water, you receive the grace that is promised and tied to the water. So you have the action of God in the institution of God. He is the one who imparts heavenly blessings. He is the one who imparts grace to you, the one who is receiving the sacrament, under external signs, so things that we can see, things that we can taste, things that we can feel physically, external signs, and then the final statement, for the bestowal as well as for the sealing of grace. So there's the purpose. God is imparting heavenly blessings, grace, under external signs, water in this case, for the bestowal as well as for the sealing of grace. You are sealed in grace when this action occurs. And you can explain that in a different way that we will see more in detail expounded upon in Luther's small catechism that you are buried and raised with Christ to new life in your baptism. You are sealed. There is a sealing of grace that you now possess as your own the grace of God because you've received it in your baptism under the external sign of water. And so that's really a lot in that one particular statement, but that is what a sacrament is. It is the imparting of heavenly blessings under an external sign for the bestowal as well as for the sealing of grace. All right, now we're moving out of Adolf Henneke's uh, uh, systematic theology, we're moving out of that. Now we are going into what we came here for, which is the small catechism. And we have flipped over to the sacrament of holy baptism. So we addressed what is a sacrament. And a sacrament is God giving grace and sealing grace to you the one who receives the sacrament under an external sign. And the external sign in this case is water. It's water. So Martin Luther begins as he does with all of his uh, explanations of what these things are. Apostles Creed, Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer, sacraments, everything like that. He begins in the same way as he always did, 
as we've seen in the last two episodes, as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household. Again, he wants not just pastors and preachers to be the one who teaches theology and doctrine. He wants the common people. He wants the layman. He wants the father to be instructing his household in doctrine and in the faith. He wants everyone to be well-versed, even down to children. He wants them to be well-versed in the doctrines of the faith. And that is very clearly when we see the very first words and all of his explanations of these many different things that are core to Christian doctrine. First, Martin Luther begins by asking the question, what is baptism? Martin Luther answers, baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. So if we remember our definition of what a sacrament even is, that'll help us out here. A sacrament is not just an external sign. It's not. It is not just an external sign. It is his promise. It is God's promise. It is God's grace tied to that external sign. In this specific case, the external sign is water. And so that is why Martin Luther starts off by saying baptism is not just plain water. It is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And so there's the promise. There's the promise. It is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And the very next question that Martin Luther asks is, which is that word of God? And then he quotes a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. He says, Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, now he just asked the question, which is that word of God? In the question of what is baptism, it says, it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. So what is, what specific word of God is combined with the water is what Martin Luther is asking. And his answer is quoting Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 19. And he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so there we see God's word and God's command tied to the external, uh, external sign of water. Uh, what is baptism? That question, it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. Which is that word of God? The word of God is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's very clear. The command to baptize is given in God's word. And the sign that is tied to that the, the, the sign 
that possesses that word of God in it is water. And so whenever you are baptized, this is how I understand this verse, that it is pretty clear that Jesus Christ gives his disciples a command to go and make disciples of all nations. And what does Jesus Christ give to his disciples as the mechanism to make disciples in all nations? He gives baptism. He says, baptizing them, the nations, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see that baptism is not just plain water, but it is water included in God's command. That Jesus Christ commands the disciples to take water, physical, actual water, and to baptize disciples, to baptize the nations, to make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the sign that is to be used in that command is actual water. And so it is water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And God's word, of course, Matthew 28, chapter 19. And of course, we have the synoptic gospels. You can go to, uh, you can go to the gospel of Luke for that same command as well. And now... We need to ask, what benefit does baptism give? That is what Martin Luther asked in his small catechism. What benefit does baptism give? And we know what a sacrament is. We know what baptism is. We know where baptism is commanded. Now, what does baptism do? What does baptism cause? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Now we are going to be going over the many verses that are expounded upon in scripture that talk about baptism and what it does and what it accomplishes for the person who is being baptized. And the first verse that is talked about in the small catechism, I do want to address something uh, just for a little bit. But first, we are just going to read what Martin Luther says. We've just established what baptism benefits, what baptism does for the person who is being baptized. And just to recap, as the words and promises of God declare, the very next question is, which are these words and promises of God? So what word says that what word of god says it works forgiveness of sins rescues from death and the devil etc etc what word of god says that that happens and martin luther quotes the gospel of mark chapter 16 verse 16 christ our lord says in the last chapter of mark whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned just as a quick Note, I am not making any definitive statements on what my particular belief view is. I've had very little study on this matter, but I think it is important information to keep in mind whenever you may use Mark 16:16 16, 16 as a basis 
for your belief in the Lutheran understanding of baptism. I think it is important to recognize that there is a significant textual variant there that Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20 that entire chunk of text is not found in some of our manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of Mark and some of those manuscripts from my understanding are very early very early on the text is in the vast majority of our manuscripts uh, manuscripts are handwritten copies of text the text verses 9 through 20 of Mark chapter 16 is found in the vast majority of our manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark but it is not found in some of our earliest and most reliable manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark I am not going to make any statements upon what that implies I've had very little study on the matter and I do not know Greek so as to be able to read the text in its original language but I, I do think it is an important thing to keep in mind simply that if you're going to use this verse as a basis for believing in baptismal regeneration what Lutherans would identify the sacrament of baptism as it's another way to understand what we're saying baptismal regeneration that phrase to just recognize if this verse is going to be a basis for your belief in that to just recognize the textual variant that's there so that you won't be surprised you won't be caught off guard if you're in a particular theological discussion with another Christian say he's like a good friend of yours or something like that and you're just sharing views back and forth to just recognize that that's a reality that's a historical reality this verse is not found in some of our earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark and so just it's important to know that so that you don't get caught off guard if you're trying to argue in favor or discuss or substantiate the view of the Lutheran belief of baptism if you're going to use Mark 16 16 just recognize the textual variant that's there and learn to deal with it and learn to be honest with that reality and don't try and just ignore that that's a reality it is a reality and to just be honest with that information just be honest with it but for Martin Luther he cites this verse as a basis as one of many verses this is not the only verse but it is one of many verses he puts that verse under the question which are these words and promises of God he cites mark 16 16 those are not the only verses that he cites but it is the first one that he cites and we are going to be going over the other verses and from my understanding I do believe mark 16 16 teaches uh, it, it substantiates the Lutheran view of baptism but just to 
simply recognize the, the historical reality of that verse, it's very important. And to do so is really good. I'm not, I don't, I'm not taking a particular stance on whether or not that verse was actually written down by Mark or not, but recognize that that is a very legitimate question to ask, and perhaps it should be asked by you as well. But we are going to be going into other verses that no textual variation is there. There are no textual variations in the other verses. So we are going to be going over those in the very next question that Martin Luther asked. So he asked, what benefit does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? He quotes, Martin Luther quotes Mark 16, 16. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In the very next question, how can water do such great things? How can water do such great things? Now I will read what Martin Luther says in answer to this question. Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along, along with the faith which trusts these word of God, this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism that is a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of the new birth of the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. So just to unpack that a little bit, he answers the question by saying, certainly not just water. If we go back to the very, very beginning, the very first words spoken were, baptism is not just plain water. Baptism is not just plain water. And over here in the question on the very next page, how can water do such great things? He Im immediately kind of refutes his own question that he asked. How can water do such great things? Certainly not just water. Water is not what is doing this. Water is not what is granting forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and giving eternal life and salvation to all who believe this. That is not, that is not the result of the water in and of itself doing anything. It is certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. It is the word of God that accomplishes the forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, giving eternal salvation to all who believe. It is the word of God, along with faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is just plain water and no baptism. And I would also add something that Martin Luther does not say in here, but I would also add that without faith, without faith in the word of God, without trusting what the word of God says that is tied with the water, then you've rejected the faith. Something that Lutherans hold to 
is faith alone. We do believe in faith alone. And a lot of people may misunderstand that, but we do believe in faith alone. We are not saying that you must have faith and, and then be baptized in order to be saved. We don't believe that faith and baptism is something side by side as if there's two things you need to have or two things you need to do in order to be saved. Faith alone is what saves. And in baptism, God imparts to you grace and faith, which receives God's promises and trusts in it. And that is what saves you. It is the faith in God and in what God has said. And that faith is a gift from God, as it is said in Ephesians 2.8. And God gives that gift of faith to you. He gives that grace to you in your baptism. And Martin Luther continues on. For without God's word, God's promises, God's declaration of forgiveness of sins... Without God's word, the water is just plain water and no baptism. The water is not what makes baptism baptism. The water is not what makes baptism what it is. It is God's word. It is God's promises. It is God's grace tied to the water that makes baptism baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. And that verse that he is referring to, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, He, being God, saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Now, if we go to 1 Titus 3, we are going to be going to a couple of passages in this episode addressing baptism. If we go to First Titus. I said First Titus, didn't I? <laughs> if we go to Titus chapter 3, and we start at the very beginning of the chapter, and we continue to read t- until we get to the verses that we are addressing here in the Catechism. If we start off in Titus chapter 3, I will read. I am reading from the English Standard Version. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So Paul's point the author of the epistle to Titus. Paul's point here is that we should be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient, to be ready for every good work, etc., etc. We should be good, kind, loving people to all people. Why? 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 What's the question? Why should we do that? He points out, we were just like 
them. We need to be submissive to rules and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We were once ourselves evil. We were once ourselves foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We were once just like those people outside of the church who hate us, who are persecuting us, who are living their days in malice and envy and sin. We were just like them, no different. But we should be kind, loving, be ready for every good work, be submissive to our rulers and authorities. We were just like them, those who hate us, those who are sinning against us, those who are persecuting us. And then he says in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us from... Our foolishness, our disobedience, our being led astray, our being slaves to various passions and pleasures. He saved us from those things. He saved us by his goodness, by his loving kindness. I think a very clear point can be made here. He saved us. He can save them too. He, those people who are persecuting us, who hate us, who want us to stop our preaching, that God can save them too. He saved us, and we were just like them. We were just, just, just as much like them, foolish, disobedient, led astray. He saved us. God can save them too. So we must be kind and loving to them and be ready for every good work for their sake. That is how we must be, because God saved us from our sins. He can save them from our sins too. And as we saw at the beginning of Martin, of Martin Luther's small catechism in... The sacrament of holy baptism he cites the verse in the gospel of matthew that the mechanism by which god's grace and which the message of the gospel would go out to all the nations would be us it would be his children so we need to be ready for every good work for the sake of the unbelievers around us because we are the mechanism by which god sends his gospel message to the entire world and so in verse four but when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but accord but according to his own mercy he saved us not because of anything we did but because of his own mercy how how did he save us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life that he saved us through the washing and regeneration of the holy spirit very clear reference to baptism that there is a physical washing that takes place and there is a regeneration done by the holy spirit that takes place in and with that washing that takes place and as paul says in i think it's the epistle i think it's the epistle to the ephesians there is one lord one faith one baptism there is only one baptism there is only one washing 
that we as Christians experience. And there is only one washing that Jesus Christ instituted that his church perform on all the nations. And that is the sacrament of holy baptism. The fourth question that Martin Luther asked in the small catechism on this particular section, he asked, what does such baptizing with water indicate? The answer, it indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition, I am not able to say that word, contrition, and repeat, that still sounds like I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but I think you all know what I'm trying to say. Contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So, our baptism indicates something, and that baptism indicates that the old Adam in us should daily die. We should die to sin and live to Christ. We should be putting the sin that remains in us to death. We should be drowning our old Adam by daily contrition and repentance. Daily contrition. Daily repentance. Constantly being contrite and constantly repenting of our sins. And it is by that mechanism that our old Adam in us should be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And the fifth question that is asked, where is this written? The answer is St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so Martin Luther cites Romans chapter 6. What? What verse was that? Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He cites that one verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. I think we should hop on over to Romans 6 and read, start at the very beginning of the chapter. I think if we do that, the understanding of baptism is going to come through much even more clear than if we just simply cite uh, the fourth verse of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 begins, What shall we say then? I'm reading from the English Standard Version again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we this this question is very important. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul makes a very clear statement. We have died to sin. How can we just continue to live in sin? Grace is going to abound, yes, but how can we continue to live in sin? We've died to sin. That's his whole point. 
How can we live in sin when we've died to it? That doesn't make any sense at all. And so he makes a statement. We have died to sin. And in verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we have died to sin. But how have we died to sin, according to Paul? We were baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death. That is how we have died to sin. And if we keep reading, I will read verse 3 again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so... We've died to sin. Yes, we've died to sin. But according to this chapter, the way we died to sin is by baptism. We were buried with Christ. We were buried into his death with Christ by baptism. And it actually says that we were raised to new life with Christ in our baptism. It says that verbatim. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, just as Christ has newness of life, we too might walk in newness of life. And where does this occur? Baptism. That's where it occurs. That's where it occurs. I personally think this is very, very clear. And I think, I personally think this is the most clear passage in Scripture that actually goes into explaining what baptism is. And we're, we're going to keep going if we keep going into verse 5. For if we have been united with him, Christ, if we have been united with him in a death like his... Remember, how have we been united with him in his death? We've been united with him in his death by baptism. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, continuing on to verse 6, we know that our old self, remember what Martin Luther said, our old Adam, Martin Luther talked about our old Adam, Verse 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, in order that the old Adam, you could say, might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That entire amazing passage of redemption, being saved from our sins, us being dead to sin and alive in Christ. We have been united with Christ in his death. We are also united with him in his resurrection. That entire glorious passage of the sinner being united to God, that entire passage is within the context immediately following the very clear statement that we are buried with Christ. We are united to him in his death and resurrection by our baptism. And so just to summarize, baptism is how it is a means of grace. We could think about it like this. Uh, Faith, faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save us from our sins. If we do not have faith in Jesus Christ, we are lost. Faith is what receives God's grace. Faith is what receives God's grace. The God's means of grace, his means of grace the means by which God's grace gets to us in this case is baptism and our baptism God gives to us his saving grace and solely by faith faith alone we receive God's grace as our own and in baptism we receive God's grace Ephesians 2.8 clearly says that faith is a gift from God and baptism is God's means by which he takes a sinner, he takes a sinner and he raises that sinner from death to life, burying that sinner with Christ and raising him with Christ to new life by faith alone. So that is the Lutheran understanding of baptism. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. The next episode is going to be going over the sacrament of the altar, the sacrament of the altar, the Lord's Supper. We are going to be going over that in the next episode. Thank you all again so much for listening. If you would like to continue to show me your support, you can you can follow me on Facebook at From Every Tribe, and you can follow me on Instagram at From Every Tribe. Thanks again so much for listening. I hope you all have a great weekend. God bless.